Amen. Man, it's so good to be here. Bless the Lord. Well, last week was my first opportunity, I should say, first experience doing the online thing at home. And so I have a new empathy for parents, young children in the online experience. And so uh, I also have an empathy for uh, what it feels like to endure long preaching, not last week, but I mean, I can see how Mike. So I'm going to be mindful of my time today online, uh, people. So we, we love you. Uh, we love you, and uh, we just so appreciate you, church. Uh, it's been an interesting two weeks for the Ingstrom household, uh, but uh, we're on the other side of COVID, praise God. <laughs> and so we're so thankful, and I know a big part of that was prayers, right? And uh, you guys just covering us in prayers. We so love you and appreciate you, and uh, just um, I'm praying for you. There's still some folks who are fighting through some stuff, and we just believe God's healing flowing to you today. He's the healer. He's Jehovah Rapha, and uh, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond we could ever ask or think or imagine, and it's according to the power that works in you. Amen? Amen. Um, well, you guys didn't get to see the kids' video, but I encourage you to go do so because um, we have the return of our all-star puppet. And, and there's a story here, and it's a redemption story. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and so my wife started puppeting, uh, doing puppeteering, or how, what's that, is that the right word? Yeah, per, English, I speak English. Um, so puppeteering back in like early, late 90s, maybe early 2000s, and uh, somebody purchased her, purchased for her, or she purchased for herself at the, somewhere in San Francisco, this puppet, and his name is Buford. Anybody met Buford? He's a horse, and he's awesome. Wish I had you do the voice. I wanted to make you do that. Sorry. Um, and she would carry him around in this old suitcase, and so one day we were doing some of that spring cleaning stuff, and there's stuff stacked in the corner of the room, and she's like, you can get rid of all that. And uh, one of those items was the old suitcase, and that suitcase had an occupant that I didn't know of. And uh, so Buford went on a journey somewhere. I don't know if it was Goodwill or a dump or whatever, but he's, uh, and so we were here a few weeks, and, and she, she, honestly, she, she really struggled to look me in the face for a couple days. It was... Um, we, we were, we, we needed prayer for people. It was tough times, but, um, so, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be sleeping on the couch for a while either. Uh, it's, it's true. She just had this look and then she put Buford's picture on the uh, background of her Mac Mac. And then every time I'd walk in the room, she'd just go like this. And I'd just hang my head and walk out in shame. So, and all of her friends back in Nevada, where she's from, were like, he did what? Are you guys okay? Are you gonna make it through this? It's like losing a family member. Um, so, praise God, he answers prayer because I've been interceding. And I also had eBay, eBay notices set up in my phone. So right in the middle of Sam's preaching on a Sunday, you might have heard an extra hallelujah. Because there was a notification and I looked at it, and we had looked at hundreds of puppets that were not Buford. 
And I said, that looks like Buford. And I almost shouted. And I gave it to Gracie, and she's like, that's him. That's him. (laughs) Went home and ordered him. And the joy that filled her soul. The joy that filled her soul was amazing. And then, uh, yeah, so the story wasn't fully over. We were out on vacation, and the package came while we were gone, so she wanted to make sure that package was safe. So she called the neighbor and said, will you go please pick up this package and take it from our house? And um, so she did that and got to about midnight, and we had not heard back from the neighbor. And I hear this kind of horrific shriek that woke me up in the middle of the night from my wife. And she's like, who's that? And there was a picture on our camera of a guy walking up and grabbing the package and walking away. And she's like, somebody stole Buford! I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, Lord. And, and then I'm like, you know what, there's another camera, I'm gonna get a different angle. And so we looked at the other camera and it was the other neighbor who had been thoughtful and moved it behind the fence. Buford is now secure and back in our family, so we are praising God for Buford. So I just wanted to praise God. That was a testimony of God's redemption. Husbands, he can save you. So, yeah. Yeah, Buford's been born again. (laughs) Come on. He's actually got a better body now than he did before. He's newer. Yeah. A resurrected body. Praise God. All right. Seriously, let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. And I just want to give you a message of encouragement and strength this morning. And, you know, uh, I believe God has called us to be overcomers. Come on, somebody. He's called us to overcome. And that, in fact, we were born again, if you will, to, be, to overcome. And it is a part of who we are. It's a part of our DNA. And I, we, I believe, you know, we are living in unprecedented times. We've probably said that a hundred times. You're probably tired of hearing it. But it's unprecedented because every day something is happening that's never happened before. And we're going through something new in 2020, right? And I was talking to somebody the other day, and she said, I wish... I could just press fast forward and get to the end of this year and be done with it, right? And I, and, and I got it. I get the sentiment. But I, something uh, kind of leapt in my spirit saying, no, that's not what God wants. God wants us to know and be reminded of this, that no matter how chaotic the times we are living in, we have been called for such a time as this. Imagine... You probably never imagined that you'd be in this time, but here we are, and I believe God has been preparing people and been making us ready in previous seasons for the season we're in now. That, That there's been a work of preparation that God's been doing, and that if you're in this season, that's because God believes in you and God has grace for you that's sufficient for you to overcome in this season and to be a testimony of his goodness in the earth. Amen? All right, well... Um, I want to I just share what it means to overcome. In the, in the New Testament, this word means to conquer, to carry off the victory, come off victorious. 
of Christians that hold fast their faith even unto death against power of their foes and temptations and persecutions. Amen? Amen. Conquer to carry off victorious. We, we need to understand that our destiny is victory. That God's called us to be victorious. That he leads us. Jesus leads us always in victory. Always in victory, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And thanks be to God who always leads us in victory. And so I, I just want to share and impart and just encourage you this morning and exhort you that you have the victory in Christ. And that we will win in the end. Even if we lose some battles, we win the war. We're on the winning side. God, it's, already been, it's already been established. The script's been written. God is going to win, and the devil loses in the end. And he gets, ends up in a pit of fire. For the... So we thank God for that, but we understand that uh, with that, you know, Scripture gives us some direction to that. So I really want to cover this morning three things that we need to overcome. Overcoming the world, overcoming evil, and overcoming the devil. And the devil's in all of them. But ultimately, we understand the difference between the world being the system that we're in and that is pushing us and pressuring us to conform and the evil being what people are doing around us. How many know evil is increasing in the earth? But that is also that light may increase. Come on. Light is increasing, and so the, the glory of the Lord is going to rise upon his people, and I believe we're going to see great things in the midst of all this chaos. And so in, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, it says, By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Why is this scripture important? Because we need to be spiritually discerning in these times. Not carnal in our minds, in our thinking, but spiritually discerning. Not judging things by what the media is saying. Not judging things by what the politicians are saying, but testing the spirit of everything. Because he says, he goes on to say, he says... Um, from, this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. That spirit is at work in the system of the world. Satan has invaded all the spheres and, and the, of, of systems in the world, and, and that spirit is at work. And so in verse 4 it says, You are of God, little ch children. Reminder. You have overcome them. You notice that? You have overcome them. Get hold of this. You have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's one of my favorite pa passages in Scripture. Because what's inside of me, see, we need to learn to live from the inside out, not from the outside in, not, not being externally minded, but being spiritually minded, which is life and peace. Having our minds set on the Spirit. Having our minds set on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, right? Not on things below. 
So there's a mindset, and there's, God's calling us to be discerning. So this world is, is the word cosmos, which denotes something that is ordered. There is a constitution to it. There is a political system. A government is, is a, an example. If you haven't figured it out yet, this world is against us. It's against the Lord. The Bible says, calls us to not be friends of the world. Oh, you got quiet on that. But clearly, and then Jesus in his prayer in John chapter 17 says, they are not of the world. So you are in the world, but you are not of the world. This isn't where, you're, where, you, where, where you come from. It's, we are born from above. And it says, and Paul refers to Satan as the God of this world. Jesus referred to Satan as the ruler of this world. And when Satan was tempting Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, he takes him up to a high place and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and he says, all this has been handed over to me. And if you worship me, I'll give it to you. And so that was the temptation of Jesus. And so, and that handing over took place when man sinned and gave that authority to the enemy and gave what God had trusted him with to the enemy. And so here we are in this world and, and God's raising up a church in the midst of it. And the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. And I believe this is the time when the church is rising in the, in the midst of all this chaos. So the system and the order of this world is contrary to who we are and, it, and, and who we have inside of us. So there's going to be a conflict that grows as this world system gets more and more evil. The good news is that greater is he who's in us. The same Jesus overcame the world. John 16, you know it well. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. We can have peace in the midst of the chaos. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. The overcomer lives in you because he lives in you. You live through his life when he overcame. He experienced firsthand all the pressures we faced. He understands. He's been through it. And yet he overcame. First, and then we go on to 1 John chapter 5. Look at this. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is, Jesus is the Christ is born of God. I want to say that again. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. Do you, man, do you understand the reality of this life we have in Christ? This life we have in Christ, because it says the proof that we've passed out of death into life is that we love the brethren. That God births in us, and when his love is, when his spirit is born, we're, we're born again. There becomes this life in us that, that, it, that loves God's people, that loves the Lord, that loves his ways. Come on, somebody. Amen. Every inclination of me changed when I was born again. The whole compass of my life began, got redirected when I was born again. And I was conscious of that life. And all of a sudden, sin wasn't fun anymore. It was contrary to the nature of who I was. It just didn't fit me anymore. 
I heard, I'll hear new Christians say, you know, sin didn't used to bother me like that. Yeah, because you're a new creature. It's not fun anymore. It goes against the new you. And so you don't, you don't have, when you have the life of God and you don't have to have people tell you what to do and not to do, the Holy Spirit's in there saying, do this, don't do that. And we have the life of God, this consciousness of his life in us, because we are born from above. And by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Yes, we can observe his commandments because God is working to will and to do according to his good pleasure inside of you. And you want to do what pleases God because the life of God is alive in you. Praise God. I hope that never gets old to you because it doesn't get old to me. The life of God in me is a reality and it makes me want to be like him. It makes me want to live and please him in how I live in everything I do. I want to be governed by that life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that we're no longer the laws, under the law of sin and death, but under the law of the life, life and spirit, right? Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's what it says. Something like that. Come on. Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, Mike. Praise God. The evidence of being born again is the consciousness of this life in us. And, um, you know, I, I, it's amazing. We, we were out and about and last week, and we got to meet this couple. And immediately when we met this couple, there was something that was like, man, I feel like I've known you my whole life. Then we start talking to them, and they're Christians. They're Christians. They love Jesus. And immediately there was a connection. And that connection is Christ in me. Christ, it's the same Christ in them that's in me. And there's no conflict between the Christ in me and the Christ in them. And that's what keeps bonds us. And it, and it crosses the lines of denominations. It crosses the lines of churches in different areas all over the world. I meet somebody who has the life of God and I know it. And I, my spirit bears witness with their spirit. And there's, the Christ is in you. Christ is in me. I'm sorry, Ben, I keep going off the camera. I'll be good. You need a cage up here. All right. And here's where I'm going with this. So he goes, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Come on. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. So we see in this love and obedience and faith. And really it's rooted. I want you to get this this morning. Overcoming is rooted in identity and who you are in Christ and, who, and, that, and that he's overcome. And so as we, as we understand who we are in Christ, as we understand what he's done, then we understand that he's overcome and we live in that overcoming faith. Come on, somebody. So whether you've overcome yet, you've got some circumstances, some things you're facing, we want to believe, just as Pastor John shared, that faith is for things to come that are not yet seen. Do you believe you're called to overcome? Do you believe that, that God is going to bring you the victory in that situation, that circumstance? Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's things. So God gives us the victory. The pressure of this world is to conform, to be shaped and molded by its ways, its thinking, its patterns. So when it says in Romans chapter 12, 
I probably quote this every sermon, but it's just such a reality to me. Do not be conformed to this world. Right? It's, it's that, that outside pressure. The system we live in, those systems of this world, are trying to shape and define who you are. They're trying to override the Christ in you. And says, but when, as what happens, here's what happens. When I get in the Word and I begin to see and you know, my mind is renewed, I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, I begin to see who Christ is in me, then guess what? I'm conformed not to the world, but to His image. To the image of Christ. That's what we're called to in Romans chapter 8. That's what we are being conformed to the image of Christ when we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So the pressure of our world. So we're called to overcome the world. Number two, we're overcoming evil. It says Romans 12 verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. Overcome evil with good. And you know, this is so relevant in our times. Man, things are so, the word I would say is vitriolic. Toxic. Maybe that's the better word. No matter what your opinion is on any particular topic, somebody's going to come at you. And so, we as, as, as Christians can be caught in the temptation to react versus respond. And the context here, Romans chapter 12, is talking about how we respond to evil. And I want to challenge you this morning, church, to be first responders. First responders. How we respond to evil is in the opposite spirit. Is in the opposite spirit. In the goodness of God. In the kindness of God. Revealing the gentleness of God. Revealing the favor and the, and the mercy and the grace of God in how we respond. And so evil, is, in a time when evil is being perpetrated by people, it's important how we respond. And I, and I want to say this. We don't battle against flesh and blood. When we speak of evil here, we're talking about when people are doing evil. How many know it's not the people? Yes, they have to cooperate, right? So there's that. But when, how do we respond when they are coming against us? How do, they respond, how do we respond when they're coming against the church? How do they, we respond when they're coming against what we believe for? And I want to say this. We respond in a manner that's counter. I'll never forget this. I was reminded as I was preparing of the tragedy in 2015 in Charleston, South Carolina, when a young racist walked into an African-American church that was having a prayer meeting and then decided to shoot up a bunch of people. It was awful. One of the worst tragedies our nation's ever seen. But what I will never forget is the response of those victims' families. And it was so radical, counter to what you expected the response to be, that it got the attention of every major news media. In that courtroom, as they stood before the killer, they pleaded with him. They forgave him. 
They were kind to him. They pleaded with him to repent. They pleaded with him to give his life to Christ, to find mercy in Christ, this man who had taken their loved ones. And the news media was left in awe because the counter-reaction was so radical, so against the flow of this world system that it warranted attention. And I believe that's who we're called to be because the evil that's around us is getting worse. But our response has to be stronger in the opposite spirit. In love, in forgiveness. Remember this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal and our response can't be carnal. I said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal and our response to evil can't be carnal. In, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus describes this, verses 27 through 28. He says, but I say to you who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Woo! How many need some of that application? Come on. In these days. I talked to a, friend, uh, a lady at work, and she told me about a situation where she had posted something on Facebook with a certain intent, certain intent, and then she was driving. They were out of coverage. They went out of coverage, and about an hour later, they got back into coverage, and she got on her phone, and this massive family feud had broken out over that comment, over her, her post. And she's like, John. I had to cancel my account. I had to try to call these people and make peace. They misunderstood what I posted. That's the environment we're in, folks. People are fired up. They're ready to cut you down. And so in that environment, our response needs to be very different. (laughs) Pray for those who spitefully use you, hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Then verse 35, and he says, and he says if we, I mean, even, even unbelievers do good to those who are good to them. How do we raise the bar? How do we differentiate as the, belie- as, as the body of Christ? We say, it says, but love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Do you get that? He is kind to ungrateful and evil men. I don't care what they've done. God's goodness is greater. God's kindness is greater. And sometimes we just can't remember that we were once those ungrateful and evil men. Come on, somebody. That what he's forgiven us of, are you hearing? What he's forgiven us of is so much far greater than whatever that person's done to us. By scales and scale, I mean, magnitudes. Awesome, kids. We love you in there. Listen to that. That's a great sound. I don't know what they're doing in there, but I kind of want to run in there. Um, We also trust God for taking care of the business. 
Because before this verse in Romans chapter 12, he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So justice, I mean, everybody's looking for justice right now in one form or another. But let me just tell you something. There can be no justice without righteousness. And there can be no righteousness which without the reconciliation and the blood of the shed blood of Jesus in the cross. There's only one answer to our woes, and it is the gospel. It is the gospel. And it's demonstrating and living the gospel to those who are the most opposed to us. Don't let your political leanings or whatever it is that you believe or your your philosophies and ideology determine your response. Be governed by this. Be governed by this. Jesus and his word. We trust God for his justice. He's going to come and he's going to bring justice. The Bible says that justice and righteousness are the foundation of his throne. And so the only way, I watched this beautiful video of these believers who were praying for how do we, how do we, how do we minister to this racial unrest in our country right now? And so these believers were led by the Lord to build an altar of pain in the middle of every one of these situations. In Ferguson in 2014, they've been in Minneapolis this year, and they were, they're a mixture of people, black and white and all colors, and all they do is they go and they stand at the place wherever that tragedy happened, and they worship God, and they pray. And their very presence, and their very occupying that space brings the peace and the presence of God into that place. And when they had to leave, the police came to them and said, please come back. The situation in our neighborhoods has been so much better since you've been here. Just your presence. Just you being here worshiping and praising and and, and just... Bringing the presence of God has changed the atmosphere in this place. And now in the very place where George Floyd was slain, they are having revival. They're baptizing people daily. Because the presence of God, because His presence and His love is all that can make it right. And they're crying out and they're making an altar of pain. And I said, God, that's the answer. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's not respond in the same spirit the rest of the world's responding. Right. I don't care if you understand what's going on. Get the heart of God. Yeah. Be filled with his compassion and his love. And say, God, how, what would you do? What would you have me do to bring peace, to be a peacemaker in this place? Number three, overcoming the devil. Come on. He's the one behind it all. <laughs> we must understand his strategy this morning, church. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, So that no advantage would be taken, Paul says to the church at Corinth, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. 
Listen to this part. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. We are not ignorant of his schemes. We cannot remain ignorant of the devil's schemes. I don't know how you fight the enemy if you don't know what they're doing. Right? And the devil's schemes are his thoughts, his strategies, and how he wants to bring destruction, chaos, and mayhem. Division, strife, every form of evil into situations. That's the devil. He wants to bring that into our lives, our communities, our nation. We need to not be ignorant. That word ignorant is the same word in the Greek is the same word we get agnostic from, which is somebody who says, I, I just don't know what I believe. They've just decided to live in ignorance. Let me just tell you, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. The le- devil is looking to take advantage of anything he can in our lives. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. And he does it by trying to outwit to trick you through some sinister means. So if we're going to overcome, we got to understand what we're up against. we got to understand our enemy and his tactics and what he's trying to accomplish. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Whoo! Just like you can't go in the store with your mask off, don't you leave that house without that armor on. That is more important than your mask. Whew. Be firm. Stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. He's going to try to knock you over. He's trying to get you out of position. John 10.10, we've heard it many times, but this begs repeating, and I believe just this morning's Something the Lord wants to show us. The thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Oh, some of your versions might say but. That's a good but right there. I came that they may have life and that more abundantly. Oh, I thought you'd get excited about that. Because because abundant life. I mean abundant life. Anyone have some abundant life this morning? All right. First of all, he's a thief, which implies he's like a bandit, a pickpocket, or who is artful. He's artful in the way he steals. That his exploits are thievery, and sometimes they're undetectable. You ever had something stolen from you, didn't know it till later? What? Somebody's ever pickpocketed you, you know that it happened. You don't know that it happened when it happened. You got in the store and you're like, what? Actually, where is my wallet? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, We got robbed and we didn't even know we got robbed. Think about that for a minute. We got robbed and we didn't even know we got robbed. You know, in the the parable of the seed and the the sower and the seed, Jesus describes the, the seed that went onto the rocky soil. And then when he's explaining it to his disciples, he said, the enemy came and stole, steals the seed because they didn't have understanding. What were we just talking about? Ignorance. Not having understanding. Proverbs. We could just go in a whole detour here about get understanding. We need understanding in the times we live in. We need to understand what's going on and what 
the enemy's trying to do in the midst of it and how we are to stand against it. So he's a thief and he steals, of course. Some of you have had your joy and your peace stolen during this season we're in. That pickpocketer came along and took it. He started to put some thoughts in your mind. He started to put fear in your mind. He began to play on those weaknesses and those areas in your life where he knows he can get to. And it comes with those thoughts and he sows them in there. And that's why the Bible says we've got to take every thought captive to the Lordship of Jesus Christ before it can become a place where he steals. Because God's will is for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in peace and joy continually. And the enemy doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want a happy child of God. Come on, somebody. Secondly, he kills. The word here is used to kill is actually a picture of a sacrifice. I'd never seen this before. A picture of a sacrifice. It has to do with how pagans would kill something to offer sacrifice to a God. And so here's what the devil does. He'll make you sacrifice something that's precious and dear to you, and you, didn't, and you willingly give it up. I know I did it. When he was running my life, there was things I were precious to me that I was giving up, and it didn't, took me one time a day. I just woke up and went, all that's gone. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's also really expensive. It's also really destructive. It leads to death. So the enemy comes and he's, he makes you sacrifice things that are precious. He gets you off your game. He'll sacrifice, you'll sacrifice time with God for something else. And it's subtle. Are you with me this morning? He comes and he makes you sacrifice because that's what, that's what he does. He demands of us, and he does it deceitfully. So basically, we have a choice. We can be a living sacrifice for God, come on, or we can daily taking up our cross, denying ourselves, or we can be a dying sacrifice for the devil, gradually giving up every good thing. If God, whereas God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, Christianity is real simple. If it's good, it's from God. Most good things are from God. And so it says, and that's what it says in James. He's the good, giver of every good and perfect gift, right? And the devil is the taker of every good, perfect gift in your life. He'll steal it. He'll kill it. He'll destroy it. Thirdly, he destroys it. So what the devil can't get from you by deceitful means or convince you to sacrifice for him, he will just ruin it, he'll waste it, he'll trash it, devastate it, and destroy whatever is left. Some of you have had the trash heap in your life. We've experienced that. We've seen the ruins of what the enemy leaves after he is stolen and he's killed, and now he's destroyed some things. And so, bottom line is this. The devil wants you defeated, depressed, to continue to struggle, to never succeed, to, bound, to be bound to failure until you simply want to give up and willingly sacrifice all your hopes and dreams. Willingly sacrifice it. Who is the guy from the 60s who used to say the devil made me do it? Flip Wilson, that's what it was. Well, the devil didn't make you do anything. You had to cooperate. He has to get your cooperation. And, sometimes, and he does it deceitfully. He does it deceitfully. He does it in a way that like you didn't even know that you were cooperating. It takes the Holy Spirit to go, bam, 
It takes the word of God to divide asunder thoughts and intentions of the heart and, and what's going on, what's really going on, and show you the truth of what the devil's doing in your life. I hope this morning that he's losing. Come on. On the contrary, Jesus came to give us life more abundantly. He desires to give you an overcoming life that is filled with victory and fulfillment. You will never be sorry for living for him. It's a continuous adventure in Christ. And you will, you'll, it's unrivaled. It's unequaled. Come on. It's matchless. It's, incom- it's incomparable. It's richly loaded. That's the life Christ has for us. And that life, and that hasn't changed because of a pandemic or because of civil unrest or because our world's going in chaos. He still wants you to have an abundant life. Man, when we've had the opportunity to go to Africa, we go into some of the poorest places in the world and we see people who have abundant life. It's not based on material blessings. It's not on on things. It's not based on circumstances. They have the life of Christ, and even when they're barely making a a meal for their child, they still have happiness and joy and filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on. 1 John 5, 17, 18, first part says, All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins. Did you hear that? No one who is born of God sins. You're like, Pastor, I just sinned in my thought life right now. Here's the difference. This is, I believe this is talking about habitual practice of sin. It's no longer conducive with who you are. It's contrary to who you are. In us is the life of God, and the life of God in us hates sin. But sin is where the devil comes in and gets his hooks. That's why Jesus could say the ruler of the world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Ha! You got nothing in me, devil. You got nothing in me. That's what Jesus said. And that same Jesus lives in me, so therefore I can live in a victorious life over the devil as a result. Come on, somebody. And I can, when we are born again, we have the life of God. We hate sin. We're not happy sinning anymore. Praise God. And the rest of verse John 5 says this, but he who was born of God keeps him. But he who... Who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Do you see that? The keeping power of Christ. He keeps us. He doesn't just save us and then say, there you go. He keeps us. His grace, his power is his grace is his keeping power in our life to keep us from the evil one and all he wants to try to do with us. And when we are in Christ and when he is in us, then we have that keeping place. And this promise is true in us that the evil one cannot touch us. So we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And finally, I'll finish with this describing the believers in the end times in Revelation 12, 11. And I want you to tell that we don't have time to go into this, but 
You can do some homework if you want and go through Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and look at the reward for the overcomers. Seven churches, seven distinct rewards called out for those who overcome. Folks, we are, we are being tested, and as we overcome, we are being made ready to be overcomers, to be seated with Christ. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Look at this. In verse 11 of chapter 12 in Revelation, it says, And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of the, their testimony. And they did not, they did not love their life even when faced with death. Did you hear that? They did not love their life. We're going to be tested in this. I know that, did, that wasn't, there wasn't like a big amen on that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. But we'll be tested. He said, but they overcome by the blood of the lamb. He's cleansed us. He's made us. We have righteousness in him because of the blood, shed blood, forgiveness of sins. Our, the devil can't hold our past against us. Come on. The devil can't hold our past against us because it's under the blood. Are you with me this morning? And by the word of our testimony, I want to encourage you this morning. Overcoming the devil means God's giving you a testimony. Your story is unique. What God has done in your life is unique. Don't let all the circumstances prevent you from testifying. Your story, the, the story of, of redemption in your life needs to be heard. What Jesus has done for you. Amen? Find somebody. Call somebody. Even if you're stuck at home, call somebody and share. Let God put people on your heart. He will bring people, even if it's the Amazon driver. Even if you have to tell them your story with a mask on 10 feet away, shout. But testify. Because God has called us to be overcomers. And he's preparing us. Amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning.